this is episode number 33 of the Ben Mucker podcast. Today we have Alex Story on. Thank you for uh, taking some time to join the pod. Glad to be here, man. Episode 33. Wow. Yes, sir. Started this bad boy in 2020 and uh, despite a few breaks here and there, we're still going. Yep, still just persisting in error. <laughs> Refused to be put down. I like that. Yep. <clears throat> so tell me, uh, what do you, what books you've been reading lately? <laughs> You know, since I since I graduated, I've um, I've kind of laid off the books a little a little bit. Uh, it's been really nice, like not reading every day. But um, I have been reading a book uh, that one of my um, one of my thesis uh, advisors recommended, and it's it's pretty good. It's called uh, Hidden Valley Road. Um, it's about a it's about a a twelve person family. Um, they have a ten, I think they have ten kids, maybe it's eight kids. I can't remember, but uh, all of them have schizophrenia. So the book is about um, exploring like genetic transmission of schizophrenia and kind of the history of the disease uh, and and this family's place uh, and kind of like understanding uh, how how schizophrenia develops in certain individuals and not in others and how it's kind of passed down. I'm only like fifty pages in, but so far it's so far it's pretty good. That sounds really interesting. And schizophrenia, I'm not. Very- I don't know. It, as I understand it, I could be very off here. It's kind of when your mind kind of starts deteriorating and you, you kind of lose sight of reality and start hallucinating or, I mean, who knows what it's like to experience it unless you're really going through it. But am I, kind, am I correct in that or am I a little off in what the disease is? I think that's that's pretty much the gist of it. I mean, um, a, a lot is still not uh, very, underst- I mean, a lot, a lot remains to be uh, found out about that disease. It's still like... I don't know. I wouldn't say like the research is in its infancy by any means, but they're still learning a lot about it. But yeah, I think a lot of people misunderstand schizophrenia as um, they equate it with uh, split personality disorder or borderline personality disorder. So mm-hmm. a lot of people think that those with schizophrenia like just have a whole array of alters that they have no control of. But schizophrenia in reality is pretty much what you said. It's uh, the, the book like has a good way to describe it. It's like someone with schizophrenia is like, processing and perceiving reality and information that only they can recognize as real so basically yeah you're you're like there's a i guess operative consciousness that completely splits off from um i guess what we would call a normal one whatever the fuck that is um (laughs) but i mean i guess it's a a simulation who knows yeah i mean (laughs) there was a guy um there was a guy in the program when i was in boulder who who said uh, he had schizophrenia um, and I'm not like, I don't want to like doubt that guy or anything, but he was like a, a remarkably fucking like proficient and lucid uh, schizophrenic. Like I was around him a good amount and I never really, you can never really like viscerally, t- viscerally tell he was uh, hallucinating or, or disassociating or whatever. But, um, but yeah, very, very enigmatic, weird, pretty horrible disease. But um, yeah, I'm still reading that book. So about 200 pages left but yeah it's pretty good no that sounds really interesting i didn't know um i guess it makes sense that could be something passed on to your children if you have schizophrenia and obviously like you said ton to be learned but um yeah i'll have to check that out yeah it's um i mean it, yeah i mean i guess it, it kind of coincides with the last one of the last classes i took at, at boulder was um disability studies and a lot of like the archaic thinking about about disability and i think with schizophrenia as well is that like those type of mental afflictions or ailments are products of like fucking divine punishment or uh you know like just very like kind of kind of fucked up explanations um but but this one i I mean discounts that pretty pretty totally but anyway um have you been reading anything lately are you uh yeah i was gonna say you know i've been trying to read a lot more recently and especially starting to read stuff that I enjoy. Um, and I think it's, A, it's been super educational, but also it's been so, uh, it's like so nice. Like it's such a good feeling finishing a book. It's like you read something in a book and there's so many times I've gone, damn, like that, that's really interesting. Or I, I never looked at it that way. And uh, I feel like kind of what's wrong with a lot of, not only our education system here, but in a lot of places is kids are just kind of forced to read stuff that they don't want to read. They're not passionate about. They're being forced to read. And uh I mean, it's kind of the same with a lot of things like exercise too. But when you read stuff that you enjoy, man, it is so uh, it's su- such a great feeling. It is, yeah. It's it's very satisfying. Um, I think the hard part is just figuring out what stuff you like to read. A lot of those titles are kind of 
deceptive. So, I mean, summarizing or like forming a review, reading a good review of a book can be like very, very helpful, but that's good to hear. No, that's a good point. I, I recently finished Atlas Shrugged and it took me forever, but just slowly but surely I chipped away. And well, it's a classic. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I'm honestly upset. No one taught me it in high school because that, that book was awesome. Like, you know, there there's like, yeah, that one. And like, there are a couple more um, like Brave New World, even like 1984 that I would have thought we might have read in high school. But I guess, I mean, I know I didn't. I, I figure a lot of people did, but I never I, read those. I've heard of 1984, and it was actually what I wanted to ask you about uh, next is what do you make of all the censorship we're seeing nowadays, especially on <laughs> platforms like Twitter and others? And it, <sighs> I mean, I, I um, yeah, I, I read 1984 uh, last summer uh, for the first time. So it was <laughs> it, it was fantastic. Um, and then I watched the I watched the film version a few weeks after. And uh, I mean, it, <laughs> it's it's become like horribly like cliche and kind of hackneyed to call things Orwellian. Um, but it, but in, in reality, I think <laughs> a, a great deal of, of what. Yeah, a, a great deal of what he talks about, I think, I think has come to pass and kind of. Um, different forms but as far as like surveillance goes as far as like uh thought crime goes i mean we're not we're not very far off from that but one of the most horrifying things about 1984 to me um was the complete and utter like perversion of uh language what they call newspeak um in the book so instead of saying something is like fantastic they'll just simplify it and say it's double plus good or something like that like just completely fucking horrible like and and i think that that's probably the one uh, that's probably the one facet of the book or, or that reality that he's describing that I see today more than in any other. And I hate that, but um, yeah, he was uh, very, like totally a prescient book. Uh, and, you know, I'd obviously recommend it or whatever. Movie's also very good, but it's, it's pretty fucking bleak. Um, it's pretty yeah. fucking bleak. No, I feel like I saw the movie and uh, you're right about like language and the way it can be used to manipulate and coerce the population or, you know, the masses, if you will. And the example I've heard is like North Korea and they just like don't have words for some things um, it, just because it like allow it makes it harder for them to communicate and rise up. And um, that shit is scary. Like the whole idea of being woke or cancel culture, or so much of it, um, it, it seems like in some cases can just lead to rather than equality, just reverse racism or unjustly canceling people who are critical thinkers and have a reason for uh looking harshly on society or the elites of the world if you will yeah yeah and and you know it in the film and, and definitely in the book it's like th there's some kind of like foundational or kind of like um like third party kind of vantage point that that like has to remain something like it has to remain intact in order for like any form of resistance or subversion to even take place if there is like a dominant ideology or hierarchy at work and i think what we're seeing total or today and probably increasingly in the future is it, i mean ideology is kind of like uh, saturating the fucking airwaves um and, and it's hard to get around it because but eventually i think that uh it comes down to like semantic drift so the meaning of words shift and you have two people conversing, both of which are using the same word, but one word means something completely different based on who's saying it to the other. So there is no longer like that kind of communicative middle ground where like you can have any semblance of, you know, civilized debate or discussion about anything and expect to make progress. So it's it's kind of depressing, but um, I don't really know how you combat that. I don't really know what you do about that. So I, I, I got I to read this. Uh, I feel like I sent it to so many people. It was like someone about... Um like your daily dose of a uh, white pill. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, uh, isn't that like a uh, white pills, like hope, isn't it? Isn't it? Like yeah. Yeah. Ex <laughs> exactly. But I got to Oh, where did I send this? I got it somewhere here on Twitter. It's so good. Um, I, I, I got to go to my likes and find this thing, man. Cause this thing was cracked me up today, but I think it's very, it's got a lot of validity, validity to it. I think, yeah, I think I, I watched a video a while back about the white folks. I was like, what the fuck is that? And uh, it seems like a very, I mean, I would call it idealistic or optimistic, but there does seem to be good reason for there to be uh, genuine hope. But, you know, I'm not a huge fan of of that. But um, I will say it's become a lot easier to think uh, and kind of perceive things more independently now that I've been off. I've been off Twitter since like July. So, and I'll tell you, it's done fucking wonders. Uh, for me, um, I, I definitely I was, recommend that. 
I was just gonna say I spend way too much time on Twitter, and I and I need to get on. And, and it's such a uh, a catch twenty two because I know I like it's like just a bad dopamine feedback loop to keep checking and checking and checking Twitter, but at the same time, like some of the shit posting that goes on on Twitter, <laughs> or some of the shit the algorithm feeds me, man, is so good. Like it's, it, it's so yeah. good. Yeah. Um, there's also stuff I see, and I'm just like it just like irks me. I'm like I just can't be real. Like we're living, you know. It, but anyways, I, I found the picture and uh, I, I'll attach it in, this, in the editing after the fact. But um, let me read it out now. <laughs> Want to know something hilarious? And th- th- keep in mind, like wh- this is some random anonymous person on uh, 4chan or something. This isn't. This isn't coming from me. But okay, <laughs> <laughs> this is from Anon. Want to know something hilarious? They have no idea what to do with you, autistic fucks. Literal master's degree, <laughs> literal master degree holding feds have debates, powerpoints, talks, de-escalation training, and containment of negative thought exercises to de-radicalize agents that lurk here and elsewhere. I've been to the briefs. It's actually the reason I quit. They're so unbelievably incompetent and retarded that actual counter meme plans were drawn up in war game. <laughs> I shit you not, middle-aged men were thinking of ways to make Pepe the Frog gay so Nazis <laughs> wouldn't want to use it anymore. They have nothing outside of blatant censorship they have lost. They can't do anything about you all. The only semi-smart thing they did was start accusing everyone of being a Fed so they could mm. trip up online movements from turning into actual demonstrations. That's it. That's mm. all they've come up with in the years of lurking. To recap... They can't meme. They can't hire tranny therapists to help their poor radicalized lurking shit posters. They want to turn Pepe gay. They literally have no idea how to stop you, Otimus, from memeing them into defeat. It's hilarious. Remember, every shit post that makes them look like idiots actually infuriates them. Never stop. Yeah, it's a, it's those autistic fucks, man. They're going to save us. They don't know what to do with those guys. Yeah, that's pretty funny. I mean, I'll say that Pe- Pepe the Frog has uh, just brought so much joy to me. Like, that meme kills me. Yeah, who would have fucking thought? Who could have possibly fucking foreseen that? And I mean, obviously, like, that's an anonymous source on 4chan. Who knows? Like, if someone's just typing that or if that actually was an expert. Like, obviously, but if, right, if, if that is too true, much. if that is true, that, uh, like, I can't believe that would, that would be, uh, thought of as a solution to get nazis to stop using pepe the frog to try it and... they're, they're desperate but i mean if they did manage to do that that just might do it so you never and know if, but and a, if they're thinking like humans are uh very irrational and crazy creatures that it, yeah they tend to be pretty uh irrational but i i think there's something to be said for that and i think there's something to be said for like the way that uh the way that we associate certain ideas and beliefs with with even fucking like images of cartoon frogs and shit like that like what 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 like inordinate power that fucking frog has it's insane i mean certain like hand gestures and like symbols signs things like that i mean the connotation and the associations that they have are fucking like comically far-reaching um and, and sometimes like wildly complex um but but I mean, the extent to which people actually know um, how deep those things go, I'm, I can't really speak to that. But it is it is fucking hilarious. <laughs> it's absolutely fucking hilarious. Um, no, it is. And I think uh, I talked about this with a buddy. Like, I think the dominance the United States has on memes is a huge advantage to us as a country, as like ridiculous as that might sound, especially as AI becomes uh, ever more apparent in our lives. Um, like I said, memes can become viral so quick and spread around the world and have such a profound meaning in so many different complex ways to so many different people. And uh, it's, it's honestly great to see that. Like, I feel like Pepe the frog has become a huge meme in the Bitcoin community. And I I think partly like, I think he's honestly Pepe the Frog has done more good for the Bitcoin community than a lot of people. <laughs> there's a lot of great. There's nothing again. Like there's a ton of great people in the Bitcoin community, in my opinion. But I think Pepe the Frog is arguably one of the uh, the greatest people in it, and just the way he can bring us together is a uh, a very real thing, in my opinion. It's remarkable. It's totally remarkable. Um, yeah, and, and 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 like humor, and especially in the form of like you know modern memes and shit like that they can be uh they can be pretty effectively subversive you can't really do anything about that i mean laughter is involuntary uh whatever the fuck i mean uh, i don't even know the extent to which that is true but uh yeah it's something about uh laughter and and comedy that kind of like can transcend a lot of those boundaries that might otherwise keep people completely separated but yeah i, I don't know uh 
Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I'm pretty sure laughter, and I could be wrong on this, but I think laughter came to be as a way to like um, relax the awkwardness between people. And uh, like it was like a biological thing to make it easier to interact with others. Um, so like you said, it's a very connecting type force. Totally. Yeah, I, th I think it can be very unifying. And it's and it seems to be pretty like naturally contagious um, in some cases, but it can also be like wildly fucking isolating and kind of alienating if uh, people are laughing and you don't know why. Or or if you are like the only person laughing, and, like, <laughs> like laughing hysterically in, in a certain context, it can be kind of uh, off-putting to some people, but it can yeah. go both ways. <laughs> Since it's creation, I'm sure it's advanced, but uh, very true. So uh, tell me, uh, that's pretty, a lot of respect for getting off Twitter. And I, I think I need to look into something like that. So I just spend less time on the app. But how are you mm -hmm. consuming media nowadays? Especially, I agree with you. There's so much, uh, it's hard to skirt around the, the mainstream narrative, whatever that approved narrative is for the day. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize this until I was off it for probably a month or so. But I got so much uh, actual news from uh, from Twitter, whether it be in the form of memes or comedy or something like that. I mean, the way that they present actual, like, ostensibly factual information, um, it's it's very easy to like receive and interpret and kind of like look at it face value. But uh, since since I got off of it, <laughs> you know, I don't watch TV really. I don't. I mean, I didn't have a TV in Boulder, and I you know I don't really watch TV anymore because I don't know. Every time I, I mean, this is digressing, but um it, it's hard for me to consume like much media at all these days i i won't lie i'm I, i'm on facebook occasionally uh and I, I i have no qualms about giving zook all of my fucking personal data i don't really care anymore but uh just beyond that i you know <laughs> beyond that i don't know I, I think i think certain events um certain events and certain like i don't know people whatever whatever is considered newsworthy if it is of a certain magnitude um or if it is like deemed you know, critically important in some way, it'll reach you in some form, regardless of how like removed you want to be, unless like you're literally like secluded in the fucking wilderness. And those people are, you know, making sure that those types of things don't reach them. But um, yeah, I don't know, I guess, I guess I've like become a real like fucking uh, isolationist. It's like so wildly liberating to not give a fuck about that shit anymore. And it's also a profound luxury not to give a fuck about that shit. Um, until it actually is like at your front door. Um, but that's a different story. No, that's a really good point. I'm with you too. Like, I feel like just it's almost hard to watch. Like, our attention spans, like, just from being on Twitter and uh, other social medias, it's like it's hard to find something worth watching. I feel like now because we're so uh, what's the word? Um, the shock factor of everything is just so diminished and uh, honestly, the biggest forms of media I've been consuming is podcasting and my own but mostly other people's like lex freeman joe rogan like if you look at the numbers it's amazing how many listens joe rogan gets per podcast uh versus oh, yeah. like what mainstream media he's crushing them he's blowing them out of the water and i feel like it's yeah. because people are starting to especially with the web now you can like be you know interact and talk with your favorite people you know they call them influencers nowadays or but um but be less celeb, whatever you want to call them mm -hmm. now, now people can interact and like I think less and less people just want to watch TV and still huge in sports games. There are still a ton of great TV shows, but I, I think it's slowly uh, changing. I think for the better too, because I think it's kind of cool that people can just have a conversation, start up their own podcast, do whatever, listen to almost anyone and kind of gives the little guy a, a voice in a way. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think the, that type of, um, I, I guess, yeah, that type of media where it's, if you're listening to conversations or, um, or even if you have the chance to interact with with people who are having a conversation i think it uh i mean i wonder about this because I, I can't i have a hard time determining whether or not like those types of forums where there's like the prospect of active engagement on behalf of like the listener uh i don't know if that's like illusory or it's actually legitimate i mean in terms of podcasting and things like that i just I wonder to what extent like public taste perception and feedback actually influences the content that ends up on these uh, like huge broadcasting forums like fucking Joe Rogan. I mean, I, I think I, I heard recently like just how many people listen to his episodes or how many views he gets per month. And I was fucking absolutely astounded at that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. It, it could be just uh, we have the impression for some reason that um, we have more of a voice and a say and a presence in what we are watching and consuming. But I think it, the wider issue here is like 
it's subject position. It's like, I think current, I mean, entertainment, current media. And I think like the direction that it's going is going to perpetuate like the classic subject position of like passive reader or passive watcher and active text. So it's like, we are just, we, we are receiving, we're not really like giving shit yeah. out or, or contributing to it. I mean, there are certain ways to do that. I just think it's incredibly difficult, especially without fucking like selling out to some extent. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That's it's, it's really hard to verify. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think, uh, I think there are some people who can do it interactive, but I think when you get too big, it's just so hard not to sell out. And I think part of the reason, and I mean, he's gotten paid bank, but I feel like at least as a listener, you kind of feel like at least you get the sense that, in my opinion, when I'm listening to Joe Rogan, it's like, oh, this guy hasn't sold out. He's like being real with his audience. He's just having a convo. Whenever I watch anything on the news, I'm like, this shit is so curated. Like I never watch it because it's just like, this is so clearly pushing an agenda so biased it's like a quick segment like let's go 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 um and i i have the most respect for people who can grow their audience and it doesn't even have to be interactive but just don't sell out and uh are able to have honest and everyone has their own biases and agenda but at least like uh and as open-minded of a discussion as possible with their guests on a podcast rather than pretty much everything else you see on the the mainstream news networks nowadays yeah yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't fucking know. It's, it, yeah, like I said, it's just hard to, it's hard to actually uh, know what the fuck. I mean, I think like as an independent, if you have an independent like podcast, for example, and like you do grow it like it considerably, if it, you know, you find success and things like that, I think you can persist in like whatever, whatever like vision or, or approach you're taking to dialogue or conversation or you're talking about issues, whatever, like however you're trying to structure the forum, I think eventually when you hit a certain point, and I think Joe Rogan is the exception to this otherwise rule or, or a rule or exception to the norm. Um, there are these like just undeniable forces that come into play, uh, whether it be like monetary or whether it be like political um, things like that, that end up adulterating content that might've been previously uh, perceived as a lot more pure whether or not it actually is i don't know but um yeah, yeah I don't, it's it's hard to it's hard to uh hard to say but but it, it is impressive that i think that that joe rogan has maintained a pretty consistent um pretty consistent tone um and, and I, I i also respect him for doing that but it can't be denied also that there are like legions and legions and legions of people that are absolutely that despise that man um and everything that he does what well, i mean and and I mean, I'm not entirely familiar with uh, what precisely they don't like about him, but there are there are scores of people who vehemently despise what what he does and what he stands for. Um, so I don't know. It's uh, it's tough, but I mean, it, it, for him, he's big enough to where it doesn't fucking matter. Um, he has a listener base big enough to where he can keep uh, perpetuating himself yeah. and i'm very grateful for that because it, i think he's done wonders to help the united states stay true to the ethos of this country with uh, individual sovereignty and liberty and life justice for all the whole and um uh, i just had a brain fart what was i gonna say i mean i think i, I think there are, i mean i'm trying to think about this in like a, a macro kind of perspective and i think like somebody like joe rogan uh and and his in his kind of podcast, it, I guess you could call it, I, don't, I wouldn't even call it traditionalist really, but there are certain values that are, that are perceived to be and associated with American culture that, that might be more traditionalist. So you have like, and he's become a massive, a massive force in that direction. So you have people like Joe Rogan, and then you have people, you know, on the, on the complete opposite side of the political spectrum. And there are both of these like very, very like almost indomitable forces that are kind of like maintaining this, this balance or ideally maintaining a balance, but uh, it's, uh, might be, um, not as actually, I mean, it's, it's impossible to have perception on these things. It's like you're gaslighting yourself trying to think about this shit. I just remember what I was going to say, um, to your point about like the fact a lot of people hate Joe Rogan and you don't really know why. I think it's because, uh, Hey, Miss Story, third mom, I say hi. Um, but I think a, a, a huge reason that people, Hey, Joe Rogan is because, and it talked about this in Atlas Shrugged, they'd rather be lied to than uh, admit the fact that they've been lied to. And, and I think that's what a big part of it is because, and I'm not against the vaccine, but all Joe Rogan has basically stated is 
he got COVID, he recovered, so he has natural immunity. He doesn't want to get a vaccine since he has natural immunity and was able to beat the virus. And that goes against the mainstream narrative of like, you have to, we're going to mandate this vaccine. And obviously we'll see what the Supreme Court says on it. Um, but I, I think there's a lot, I, I would love to know why we haven't looked into natural immunity and why more mainstream news outlets aren't talking about it. And uh, the, the fact that Joe Rogan kind of stood up to them and said like, I, you know, he used ivermectin, he brought on Dr. Peter McCullough to talk about it on his podcast, like, and it's clearly uh, had some positive effects and been used effectively by various doctors around the world. And yet CNN, the mainstream news network is talking about the fact that he's taken horse to warmer to try and, and it, 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 you know, they're graying out his picture. Like, yeah, it's I not mean, the, the, with, with a lot of what I've seen with, um, with like mainstream narratives about, about COVID especially is like, places or like uh outlets like cnn and other like very 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 like pro pro vaccine pro kind of like follow the fucking rules types of um types of like distribution chains are like they have a monopolization on on what they pursue it's like if safety is an issue if like if lives are at stake or at least they can give off the impression that lives are indeed at stake it's like they, there is no need to justify anything else like if, if they can if they can actually like create and kind of perpetuate a sense of danger that is so exigent that like considerations of like personal liberty and autonomy and things like that uh go out the window it's i mean i don't know i, I think this is the case all the time i mean it's just like this is how like martial law is created and this is how like civil civil liberties come to be suspended but they're they're like i don't know it just seems like more weight far more weight for those who are uh, like just like obstinately pro-vaccine uh far more weight is put on like safety and wellness and things like that because they've been told that there is a like very singular route to that desired state there is a very singular route to safety and now we're seeing like the vaccine doesn't really you know guarantee against infection and we have like omicron and like the testing doesn't even really pick up omicron so i think like the public is becoming like wildly frustrated uh with what they're being told like and being and what's being broadcasted across these channels whether it be um pro or anti-vaccine but i'm just so sick of the goddamn like politicization of safety and wellness and health mm -hmm. and things like that it's um it's i don't know it's it's fucking nauseating um and it's like the, I, I just and that's i think large part why i can't like stand watching fucking media and commercials anymore it's just the ideology just fucking just beams right through fucking all of the little like idyllic fucking like picturesque you know uh representations of american life and culture it's total fucking perversion and i i it makes me sick Bro, you're, the time. you're so spot on um i was reading a book today that about running and it was talking about how the guy was like i don't put check you know see your doctor before doing a fitness activity because realistically especially with western medicine it's like you're gonna go and your doctor can say one of two things like yep checks out like nothing feels wrong all right you can exercise like don't overdo it or like you maybe you, ha you have these underlying conditions you shouldn't exercise and i think so much of uh, western medicine is just like keeping an eye on someone's health and like if it ain't you know broken don't fix it like mm -hmm. and and so much of I, I think really being a healthy person comes down to focusing on your fitness and getting exercise and getting outside getting sunlight trying to eat healthy and i feel like so many of the products today, especially in the West, and uh, it's just consumerist bullshit that doesn't add much value. Um, like there are so many zombie companies and jobs that just don't do anything. And I feel like it's capitalism has become very uh, perverse because the, the money is broken. I mean, the Fed printed $7 trillion uh, since COVID hit. And I, I don't think we ever really fixed uh, fix that many things after 2008 we just kind of papered over the cracks with money printing and i think a lot of the the rest of the world is starting to wake up to the fact that the u.s dollar as a global reserve currency benefits us and i mean the fact that we have 29 trillion dollars in debt yet other countries are still willing to trade with us is just a huge indicator that we're definitely rigging the system in our favor and uh fucking over a lot of less developed countries and obviously i'm biased because I, I i started to learn about it i really like it but um I think Bitcoin can be a huge tool for freedom and honestly to help the states kind of beat the CBDC that China's <laughs> trying to promote in their own country. And I'm sure they'd yeah, love to see yeah. it elsewhere. 
Yeah, totally. Yeah. And and I think, you know, just talking about the commodification of, of health itself. Um, and I, I was, you know, and I don't, this keeps going back to my God, that goddamn disability studies class. But a lot of what we talked about in there uh, was, I mean, we had a, uh, we do student presentations like the last few weeks of class. Uh, and this one girl gave a pretty good presentation where we watched a documentary about like uh, plastic surgery or some shit. Um, and just, I'll, I'll just ask you, what, what country do you think like has the most instances of plastic surgery procedures per capita? The United States. You would think, but it's fucking Lebanon. It's like Lebanon and then like Brazil. And then I think a couple more than the U S. Wow. But, um, but the, the, the wider point of the, of the documentary was, uh, in, in a lot of places where like Western culture has taken like a pretty strong foothold, uh, there are these created casts of kind of like ideal, um, aesthetic beauty, uh, and things like that. But I think that like aesthetic beauty has actually come to be completely and inseparably incorporated from the idea of wellness, um, and the idea of health to where like we have to consider mental health and things like that. But it seems like, um, like aesthetic beauty and one and one's kind of like consideration of their own aesthetic beauty is is completely tied into this false idea of what mental health is. It's like I have to conform to this certain um, idealized cast of beauty, uh, and I think Western beauty standards are largely responsible for that. But point being, point being, a lot of um, pretty much a lot of uh, capitalism thrives on on human insecurity, and we can't really do much about that. Uh, but Anyway, I was probably getting away from the point of the uh, crash of 2008 and shit. But well, no, it's not. I mean, think about like, why do we have Facebook or Twitter for free or uh, YouTube? And a, a big part of the reason, I mean, the reason we have it for free is because we are advertised to constantly. The fact that, and it's probably less than 1% because like, I, I do believe, like you said, most people are just tuning advertisements out. Like I'm with you personally. Like I see an ad come on, I don't even... It's just so like maybe one out of a hundred ads like oh, that was mm -hmm. funny the rest of them it's like just this is so cringe i don't want to see this um <laughs> but we are afforded these services because we get advertised to constantly and these algorithms get better and better and better at recommending us ads and so it's like such a uh bitch because so many of those things advertised to us are scams or shitty products or just consumer bullshit not actual things that um uh, not that I, not actual things that I think are quality goods that actually yeah. benefit the greater good of society, yeah. if you will. Yeah, um, I know what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I think it preys on it preys on dynamics of of desire and like uh, Lacan and a lot of like Lacan and psychoanalysis talks about how how desire is like we are constantly circling around what what we want. I mean, desire. I mean, some some thinkers and people believe that desire is ultimately what what make us human. We have like use value and we have exchange value. And if you consider like an animal, for example, an animal only. I mean, well, yeah, we can use an animal. Um, so an animal knows an animal knows its basic needs like hunger, for example. Um, and, and that's a pure state, a pure state of desire. That's that's actually what he would call drive. Like it is just we have to satisfy this need and it is like direct nourishment. Um, but what and and for the human being, we're only in that state, that state of pure drive uh, before we enter language. So basically as infants, so like when we're born, we only know one real drive or, or desire and that's hunger. Um, and once we enter language and once we get caught up in the fucking uh, symbolic chain, we are just constantly slaves to this non-existent thing we know as desire and want. Where we are constantly circling this thing, this fucking illusion of this central kind of like point uh, without ever getting there. And like every time like we get close to achieving it, this wonderful feeling of like anxiety sets in. It's like we either, we either come too close to achieving what we believe we want or uh, we, if we stop desiring, if we stop wanting for two seconds, we start to feel kind of like uneasy with ourselves because we are so accustomed to like constantly chasing after and desiring things blindly and impulsively. It's like if you actually stop and like consider that, it's like... It can be a little disquieting, I think. Um, yeah, and then think it wasn't that long ago that most humans, all they thought about was their id, like that co constant desire to feed themselves. They didn't know where their next meal was coming from. And now that modern day society has allowed us to extend our time preference. Um, at least if you want to be successful in today's modern day society, you really have to extend your time preference, especially with the rate of inflation in this country. Like you have to be able to invest. You have to set your time preferences long. 
you have to uh you have to think it very long and, and as humans that's not what we're designed to do we're designed to fulfill our the most the biggest desire in our mind which typically has been food but once that it's like that hierarchy of needs pyramid mm-hmm. and yeah i think a lot of uh, the very wealthier and not all but i think a vast majority of wealthier elite people have so many of their basic uh needs met mm-hmm. yeah. that they get a lot of uh, perverse and twisted um Totally. I don't even know what you want to call it. <laughs> I think all those needs being met leads to some fucked up shit. It absolutely does. It absolutely does. Um, and and what what the psychoanalysts would call that, or what at least Lacan and and Zizek would call that, when they'd call that surplus enjoyment. They'd call this French word buissance, which I I there are like so many like to talk about this is like fucking like irredeemably gay and like cringeworthy. But I mean it's it's what it is. I mean I I, I tend to like that shit. Um, and and I I see it everywhere. Um, but but. Yeah, totally. And, and your example there about about someone who feels like they need to, um, they, they might have a, a desire. So like as as Americans, we have I mean, to what extent the American dream is still intact? I don't know. But I think most Americans have kind of a uh, an idealized goal to where they want to achieve. Perhaps, you know, we have a 401k, we have a pension there. There will come a time where if I work hard, if I you know extend my hours, if I work my ass off, then I will be able to achieve this state of you know, apparently like happiness, leisure, um, just pure, pure enjoyment. Um, and, and it, it's cruel and kind of fucked up because you spend, I mean, countless, countless people spend their entire lives working their asses off and, and doing the things that they perceive will get them to that end goal that by the time they reach there, that that point, it's like, it's, it either vanishes or it's cost them so much along the way that like, whatever that end point is very often becomes lost or you could be like lucky or beneficial enough to actually like convince yourself of the illusion along the way and actually get there and not give a fuck. But I think Absolutely. for some people that's easier to keep down. No. And think about it. That's why I believe uh, societies who haven't had hard and sound money who, ha- you know, societies where the people who save get punished, they end up collapsing because the motivation, you know, that uh, long time preference in modern day society if uh, the means of being able to afford yourself or work towards that just becomes increasingly difficult to the point where someone's going to be like, screw it, like, I'm done with this. I think that's why you see a lot of societies collapse. And uh, I think a lot of times it goes back to the money. And, you know, it's it so does. it's so unfair for like to think, you know, the money we put into Social Security. Will we ever see that? You know, I hope so. But like. <laughs> Uh, it's looking like they're going to run out here soon. And, uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I wouldn't count on that. No, I'm curious. What do you think about Bitcoin? Because personally, I've been like trying to save everything in that just because I feel like I, I'm, I'm not counting on Social Security. I'd rather hold my own keys. I'd rather hold my own wealth in something where uh, mm-hmm. it's more responsibility. But at least I know that it can't be the base. At least it hasn't to this point 13 years later. And Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I'm still, I'm still like a total fucking neophyte when it comes to cryptocurrency, but I'm seeing like, wasn't it just, uh, like Odell Beckham just recently got his, uh, like contract paid out in Bitcoin and things like that. People seem to be under the impression that, um, if they like Bitcoin is, is a great means of, of, uh, kind of securing financial autonomy, regardless of what, of what the dollar might do. Um, and, and that's a great way of like kind of counteracting, uh, inflation of the dollar. But as far as I, as far as I, it's 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 still it's still just hard for me to see um because like the like the the most classic objection is like okay what is it what is it backed by and then you can have the counter argument to where okay what is the u.s dollar backed by we've been off the gold standard for a long time now mm-hmm. um and so i don't know i mean it's just <laughs> it's i i just still i can't i can't really um i can't really uh, shake the uh the kind of uneasiness about about how precarious that currency appears to be and i i don't know how it's been doing lately um but it, i think it's becoming an increasingly attractive option for for like investors widespread and things like that but i think there's also a great deal of fucking um apprehension and anxiety about uh blockchain shit and cryptocurrency and whatever the fuck but i hope yeah. we're long enough i hope we're alive long enough to see uh where this goes if there is an end point to it yeah understandably and there is reason i mean like i think it's important to separate bitcoin from all other cryptocurrencies and i think there's still a lot of scams out there there's a lot of ways if you don't protect your private keys you can get hacked um on a personal level um but how how would you answer that question what is fiat since like you said we're off we've been off the gold standard since 71 what do you think fiat's backed by and what do you think bitcoin's backed by 
I mean, again, I'm, I'm speaking totally uninformed here, but I, I would think it's, it, it seems to be backed by uh, fucking uh, public perception. It seems to be backed by like public strength and like investment solidarity. It seems to be almost like subject to like these very fickle kind of like market forces. Um, well, I, I wouldn't call it like FOMO or anything like that, but it seems like it's like at one point it was a total fucking runaway train and everybody was trying to step over one another to get on board and things like that. But if I had to say it, I, I guess I would say that they're, I mean, but the, I mean, and that's not to discount like the very real regulatory and um, environmental, social, political forces that might affect uh, how the currency does. And I, I don't know to the, like, to what extent Bitcoin is susceptible to um, market regulation and things like that. I, I still don't very know, don't know very much about it, but um I, I guess what one of the large one of the large uh, sources of backing that I that I see it as is is literal like public public taste like popularity um, and 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 things like that I guess but I don't fucking know. No man, I I think everything you just said is what uh, determines the spot price of Bitcoin. So if you think about it, like Bitcoin speculation is its biggest marketer. The fact that like you can put money in this thing and if you zoom out and it's going to be up a bunch, it's like yeah. damn, I. I and I think looking into it, a lot of people kind of learn to set their uh, time preferences a lot longer, which I think is a positive thing in general. You know, mm -hmm. good societies have citizens who want to save and work towards a bigger goal. Totally. Um, and, and I and I'm, I'm no expert either. I, I don't work in finance. Um, but as I understand it, all fiat currencies are just backed by the monopoly the government has on violence, like the full mm -hmm. faith and credit of the U.S. government. The fact that we got the biggest military in the world um, oh, okay. is what backs okay. the U.S. dollars. Okay. And that's what backs any fiat currency. I mean, you think about it, it's like, and there's all different kinds of central banks and stuff, but it really is the fact that like a government has monopoly on violence and they got a military and um, they deem this currency like worthy. But I feel like a lot of things get messed up because we've allowed the government to print so much money and with fractional reserve banking where you know they lend out your money for a profit and um bitcoin as i understand it from looking into it is essentially secured by energy and there's been a lot of fear uncertainty and doubt spread that oh bitcoin uses too much energy all these esg concerns yeah but it's kind of it's bullshit because <laughs> it is like it is bullshit because bitcoin actually encourages green energy um infrastructure think about it like Say you wanted to build um, some infrastructure to monetize some geothermal energy in Iceland. Mm -hmm. It would cost millions, if not billions of dollars to build out that infrastructure to bring power to uh, whatever cities there are in Iceland or whatever. But with Bitcoin mining, you can like the second you harness that uh, geothermal energy into electricity, you can plug it into the Internet, you know, a miner. Um, start mining Bitcoin and then essentially monetize that uh, energy infrastructure you just built. And then you can start to build that out even more. So it really de-risks building out. So okay. in uh, El Salvador, for example, uh, they're using volcano energy. They're making a Bitcoin city. Oh, and, shit. And they're literally using geothermal energy to mine Bitcoin. So they're monetizing that geothermal energy, which is like this, like this Bitcoin miners look for the cheapest form of energy. And then they're also going to use that geothermal energy to power their grid. So they're literally building out the city and then they're raising funds, selling a Bitcoin-backed bond. Um, pro mad props El Salvador becoming the first nation say to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender and it's just I think you're right the public perception like a lot needs to happen for Bitcoin to become the next global reserve currency mm -hmm. but I think Bitcoin as the next global reserve currency is such a better system than U the US dollar because unlike now where the Fed decides whether it's going to do quantitative easing or quantitative tightening which is more or less I know there's more to it than this but it's more or less them deciding to print money or turn off the money printer and shrink their balance sheets, sell off their assets. Yeah. Um, and rather than centrally planning the cost of money and all these different things, like how much will be printed, um, Bitcoin is just an open protocol anyone can use. It doesn't give a shit if you're fat, ugly, beautiful, um, yeah. what your religion, it doesn't care about any of that. It just does what the code says it's going to do. And Bitcoin is truly decentralized. The uh, creator Satoshi Nakamoto, whether it's one person or uh, a group of people has just disappeared and no one knows. And I think every other blockchain can't say the same. Um, it's susceptible to at some point centralization. And I think that's what kind of, uh, I think humans are much better off when they don't 
aren't getting ruled from the top down, but rather people can uh, flourish and optimize for what they want. And you know, it kind of goes back to the conversation at the beginning of this. It's so much easier to read when I'm reading something I'm interested in and I'm doing things I'm passionate about than if I'm working a nine to five or if I'm reading a book because it's mandated by my teacher or whatever, um, mm -hmm. and I'm being forced to forced. It's not, like, but, you know, <laughs> coerced, you know, lightly, but I, I think that's fascinating. Um, what, I mean, what you said earlier, um, that kind of like back to like monopolization of, of, of violence and maybe like military might and, and power. I think that's, that's something I hadn't considered. I think that's really interesting. Um, but as a, as a counter example, this is like a, this might be absurd. I don't really know, but I've been, I've been watching the show billions. I don't, I mean, it's, it's okay. It's pretty good. The first few seasons were great, but I watched an episode. Um, I'm on the last season. There was an episode. It was maybe one or two. And one of, uh, something that happens is, um, these guys, uh, these guys are, are mining cryptocurrency. They're mining Bitcoin. And in the process, in the process, they apparently use so much energy off of the grid that this small town that they're next to has to go to the market and buy energy at 10 times the rate or something like that. And I don't know, it, it seems really bad, but it, until you said that, I would have had, I would have just, you know, kind of like accepted it at face value or kind of been like, okay, that seems fucked, but I don't, I don't really know. But is that you said that you is that not uh not very no, so, realistic i mean that that's the thing it's like who the who the hell that's why esg or like environment societal government is honestly in my opinion a bunch of bullshit because it's mm. like who the hell decides what is good energy usage like christmas lights use more energy than the bitcoin <laughs> network like i'm not sure i like christmas lights but i'm saying like to just arbitrarily say oh people can use energy and and then to come out with carbon credits to allow companies like, oh, looks like I've exceeded how much uh, carbon I can use. I'm going to need to buy some carbon credits. If you're a big enough company, it's no problem. You buy some more carbon credits, you pollute the environment more. And at least with Bitcoin mining, people are incentivized because it just comes down to incentive structures. They're incentivized to look for the cheapest possible energy um, mm. because it's proof of work mining. Like what's happening is. Uh, you have to buy specialized hardware at this point. Um, and it, they're just trying to hash a function, guess an answer. And when they get it, they can add a block to the blockchain, which contains all these transactions. And that's all it is, just blocks with transactions being added into the proof of work. Um, the miners are exerting energy showing they did it. And it's very random. I think like, you know, these specific uh, machines, I think it's like billions of a hash functions they're guessing every second, um, like a crazy number. It's like you literally have to buy the specialized hardware, but so many people are like, oh, let's go to this proof of stake system and proof of stake just leads to centralization. Um, and they're like, well, it uses less energy, but it's like, well, the fact that Bitcoin is using all this energy to make sure it's secure over the course mm -hmm. of time and energy use is like, it, it uh, creates for better human life. Like think about how many things, at least being a citizen of the United States, we take for granted, but that make our life so much better. The fact that, you know, we have electricity, the internet, uh, running water like so many of these things come from you know energy like energy yeah. is energy is everything and mm -hmm. some people try and shame the bitcoin network for it and <laughs> make it seem bad and like i'm sure like if you're yeah you got enough miners uh you know enough a6 is what they're called oh, okay uh, wait, you, wait. So how do you what is it again asic application specific uh interface computer that could be wrong okay. on that but it's essentially a specialized piece of hardware that just guesses hash functions Mm. Um, and, and, and I, as I understand it, a hash function is like, if you put the, if the input is just a piece of data, so it could be X, Y, two, like whatever. And when it goes through that hash function, it randomizes it and scrambles it. Um, and, and then if it's, so it can only go one way though. Um, so it's like, th that's what encryption is. And Bitcoin is like the a truly decentralized form for this blockchain. Like everyone has to be consensus. It's, it's proof of work. And all these other proof of stake, like this Web3 and you know, there's some cool things I see on it. But like, I mean, it, it's pretty nuts that uh, hmm. that JPEGs are selling for millions. <laughs> but I mean, I guess you could say the same thing about the art market before NFTs were a thing. Yeah. But I think at the end of the day, uh, I'm not shitting. Like, like I said, I like some NFTs. But I think a reason a lot of these <laughs> JPEGs are selling for so much is because it's like there's funny money in the economy. There's so much misallocation <laughs> of capital. And yeah. uh I mean, the, like seven trillion since this, and you know they did it. On, you know they're like, oh, there's an emergency. We got to do this. We got to print. Like, and I'm sure they did. Like, I'm sure the bubble would have popped or whatever the debt bubble. Mm -hmm. But uh, when you know, 
capital gets this misallocated and it's not open, transparent, and society can uh, in not every, but like in 99.999% of cases, I feel like the private market does a much better job of allocating capital than a bunch of bureaucrats in a room trying to. Yeah. Um, I, I think you're right about that. I think you're, I think you're right <laughs> about that. Um, I, I, uh, I gotta ask, this is a wildly digressing, but um, when's the last time you had to take a drug test? I think when my dad gave me one. Oh man, it's been, that, it's been a long time. Okay. I, yeah. Why, I, uh, why you ask? I gotta take I gotta take one tomorrow. Um and uh I'm not really <laughs> I'm not really sure what to do. Um because I, I got this job, uh, I got this job teaching at Bulls and it's a great fucking gig. I, I mean I'm teaching like ninth to tenth grade history, um, and they're gonna pay me fucking two hundred a day. And just for comparison, it's like if I were to sub awesome. at thank you, but it, if I were to sub at Stanton, they'd pay me like eighty-four dollars a day, and it's like okay, I can't. But so the offer is contingent on a uh, quote-unquote satisfactory drug test whatever the fuck that means so i uh i've been off weed for probably uh this is like the seventh day um but i have virtually like i'm skinny as fuck uh my metabolism's through the fucking roof um and i'm trying to figure out what the fuck i mean i have an at-home test i'm about to take tonight just to see what happens but i'm kind of wondering um what the fuck to do i would would drink a ton of water um (laughs) i mean i i dude i've i've researched this to death to death uh, and, and right now, cause on the one hand, I could just be like, Hey, I've been living in Colorado the last three years. And like, I, uh, <laughs> there was so much secondhand smoke. I just <laughs> couldn't, avoid. but on, on the other hand, I could dilute it. If I like take like B12 and fucking creatine, uh, I, I can colorize say, if it. It was diluted. Nothing. And they say like, Oh, you got to take another test. Well, then that's even more time. Like it'd be a week. Yeah. Like, I'll take yeah. another also start peeing and then put the cup in and then. Uh, right. Yeah. Middle of the stream. Yes, sir. <laughs> middle of the stream. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah i i and on the, i was also gonna think like maybe i could just say like i've been exposed to covid and I <laughs> you know so i, I was just you. curious uh if you dealt with that lately but uh, did just by did you pass the one uh you took last i think it was inconclusive <laughs> <laughs> i funny. was doing the same thing i'm sure back then. <laughs> <laughs> all right well believe it or not i might nick might have to give me some uh we'll see what happens that's funny though you mentioned that like the difference between what a private and public school would pay you and uh my girlfriend's actually working the public school system we were talking about that today how it's like private school teachers typically make more and anyone who works at a private school typically makes more um and it can be frustrating i'm sure for many taxpayers uh because it's like all right i'm paying all these taxes to the state like why is the education system uh and I, I feel like the teachers are between a rock and a hard place because they've given all these kids. Um, and in a lot of cases, like you don't know the backgrounds are coming from what they're dealing with at home. Yeah. You know, and you've got to try and all bring them together and teach them like a, a lesson and make it interesting to them. And at mm-hmm. that age, man, so many kids want to optimize for different things and rightfully so. So many kids have different skills and various things. Um, you can probably test it much better. I know your teacher than I, I mean, can. I, I, I've wondered, I've wondered about this because, uh, I know up until, at least in the state of Florida, I know up until DeSantis passed that recent legislation where uh, he upped like the starting salary for new teachers. Before that, I think it was by and large the case that private school teachers made on average far more than public school. But what, from what I understand now, I don't think the, I mean, if this if this like sub discrepancy is any indication, it's obviously pretty bad. But um, from what I understand, I thought the gap wasn't quite as big as I thought it was, but maybe that's just a Florida thing. And I think, but I think it definitely speaks to a much wider problem because even teachers like that have been in the public school system, even at San for 20, 30 years, are just about at the end of the rope dealing with fucking parents. It's it's really the fucking parents that do it to you, I think. But um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I think if you, if you can get a, a private school job, I think it is is definitely uh, a better idea but for me i think it's the most attractive part about it is like you're not bound to state curriculum um you have much more flexibility in, in what you teach and how you teach it and that's that I, I mean you can't put a price tag on that really no man i mean even as a teacher like i i know i get such a kick out of talking about bitcoin because like i'm passionate i've studied it and tried to learn about it mm-hmm. and i'm sure it's the same way with anything you're going to teach like if you get on a subject that like and then it's better for everyone involved, man. The students are like, they can hear the passion in your voice. They want to listen to what you have to say. It's uh, yep. 
You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, and they and they it's weird. They they definitely have they're like very attuned. They can tell like very, very easily like whether or not you give a fuck about what you're teaching. And what I wasn't saying, I didn't bullshit them at all. So like I would just like skip the poetry unit because I didn't give a fuck about it. <laughs> but like the, the short stories and the other stuff I was like, you know, very into and I think uh, that that pays dividends uh, in the long run. So I think kids, uh, especially going like growing up, like teenagers, um, have some of the best bullshit detectors. And like you said, can tell it's such like, and it's amazing too, is a lot of adults get older. I feel like we kind of lose that spark or that joy. And, um, we put too many of our preconceived biases or notions about how society functions onto things. Um, it can be sad because I think a lot of people can almost become like, uh, zombies just going through their days not really um especially when not to always bring it back but like when just the money gets corrupted and we're just seeing inflation be so high and so many jobs are unsustainable and just not being paid enough and it's almost i mean with the with like the uh, the listening thing it's like almost like an unconscious like kind of thing like it, the, the students will mirror will mirror your level of energy to the material whether or not they realize it or not so if you can, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, you really got to pick your battles with uh, fucking education and curriculum. But if you're in public school, you don't always have a choice. Yeah. Let me ask, what are you uh, doing to optimize for like happiness in your own life in this uh, <laughs> increasingly clown world, at least from what I'm seeing on social media? Um, happiness. Hmm. Um, well, I think, you know, every time I get off weed, I this is like, I mean, on the seventh day, your like neuronal receptors kind of reset and like you have kind of like a new lease on life for like a month or so. But so, th- so that's been something I always like take for granted. Um, but also, uh, totally abstaining from romantic engagement and kind of like kind of withdrawing from even like social engagement, not like investing energy in that type of shit, I think is profoundly difficult, but it also can be like wildly rewarding. Um, because nine times out of 10, it's, uh, it, it usually doesn't, you know, uh, pay off very well, but I, I also am like wildly, it, it's definitely a double-edged, uh, sword. Um, it's, it's just like kind of competing with, with kind of like biological, biological urge and need versus, I guess, like over intellectualizing the pursuit of those types of things. But to optimize happiness, I, I don't fucking know. I think, I think the best thing you can do to optimize happiness is kind of dispel the notion of any kind of need to optimize happiness. You just kind of go for it. Yeah. I would love to know why um, you're kind of recently trying to stay solo, I guess. And before you answer um, one thing I was talking about with my buddy Q in a podcast actually the other day is how important it is to learn to love yourself. And if you ever want to be in a successful, I mean, I know it's cliche as fuck, Mm, but if you ever want to be in a successful romantic relationship, knowing yourself and understanding your wants and needs and like what you are going to expect out of a partner is crucial to have long-term yeah. success. And uh, I think in today's society, it's becoming ever increasingly damn near impossible to know yourself and really love yourself and think highly of yourself when it's so easy to see the next best thing 24, seven, three, six, five on social media. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. And, and uh, I mean, this speaks to like the conversation we've been having and it's just like, you're always getting uh, sold a, a better a better version, something you don't have that that's just it's just within reach, you know. If you just want to you know, <laughs> fork up the fucking money or 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 change your behavior or something like that. But in terms of in terms of relationships and partners and things like that, it's it's super hard to actually uh, engage in once you start <laughs> thinking way too much because you're absolutely right in saying that like if you're going to set yourself up for a, a long term like kind of mutualistic productive relationship or uh, are getting into whatever you think would be a mutualistic productive relationship uh it requires uh fucking patience and a lot of time um but th- there's definitely a limit um on those things uh so i guess um resisting resisting biological programming is uh, your best bet but i mean it's like you kind of gotta you kind of gotta like shift shift your conception of what of what happiness is and even like self-understanding and self-help or or like maintaining a positive self-image or quote-unquote loving yourself is almost impossible to do. Well, actually, I, I don't even know about this because on the one hand, I think it's, it's I would say it's damn near 
in reality impossible to do if you actually don't have that underlying kind of foundational knowledge of yourself. But if you have, if, if you're lacking that knowledge, on the other hand, if you're lacking that knowledge completely, it is a wildly easy thing to quote unquote love yourself if you just completely turn off the introspective gaze and stop like, uh, and stop like inquiring um, and actually like pursuing independently these kind of like these drives and things and feelings and emotions that make us human. It's, um, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's fucked. Man, I agree with everything. I, I think if there was one thing I took away from Atlas Shrugged, it's like my own happiness is dependent on myself and it is uh, fucked up to try and depend on someone else for your happiness. And everyone needs to optimize for, you know, their own thing. And in a way, ignorance is bliss. But at the same time, um, I think a lot of like true happiness and like true, like, kind of comes from learning to delay satisfactions and really mm -hmm. think long-term, think long-time preference and introspect so you can get to know yourself better and understand what's going to bring you those uh, long-term and sustainable um, joys and highs, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you can, if you can get behind desire, if you can start figuring out, you know, why you're drawn to the things that you are, uh, and then kind of like evaluate those things in the greater context of, of your life trajectory or whatever the fuck it's, um, you know, it can be a productive thing, but it can also be kind of, kind of scary. It can be kind of empty, but, uh, anyway, no, no doubt. I mean, I think like you said with weed and with alcohol, with really any drug, really, um, I think so much of addiction and I'm like, I'm not a scientist, I'm not an expert, but as I understand, I think so much of it stems more from like a deeper trauma or something that kind of happened in life and pe people turn to alcohol or drugs to try and like escape it and yep. getting off those things. It really makes you feel and introspect and uh, it's hard and, and it's hard to uh, so many people. I read a book, I, I forget what it's called, but um, someone was an alcoholic and getting off it. And she talked about like how so many people <laughs> drink to just keep the wheels lubricated and keep things that you get off and you're confronted with all these emotions and working yeah. through them is the right thing to do in the long run. Um, but you got to yeah. take the the hard, tenuous path of stopping and work, you know, stopping the drug or alcohol and working through them. Yeah. Actually uh, developing the fucking skill to like actually listen is to your, to yourself and, and also, you know, those kind of implicit kind of uh, signs from other people around you, regardless of how reliable those might be is, is super important. And I think, uh, yeah, I, it's so often the case that I, like you come across people where it's like, it becomes very evident that uh, whether through substance abuse or, or something like that, and I, I'm not vilifying substance abuse here by any means. I think that's, it can be a, a short-term solution to a long-term problem. I don't think there's agreed much wrong with that, but, but on the other hand, there's a, uh, even, even with something like as, as seemingly innocuous as weed, for example, it's like, you can, you can dull your like emotional, like, acuity and intelligence to such an extent where you don't develop like the the like very foundational like emotional skills and communicative skills you need to actually like maintain a sense of of, of well-being and whether or not that's illusion whatever the fuck it doesn't matter but I, I i don't know some people never really get past that like i don't know it's regulating emotion is really hard and, and substances make it a lot harder it is and i think a lot of it too is western pharmacy and rather than like trying to diagnose a kid you know sometimes we'll put them on adderall or various Absolutely. other things and yes that's not the answer in so many cases like it it's really a shame i agree well alex it has been an absolute pleasure having you on i always like to end these uh as you probably know by opening the floor so you can ask me a question about anything something super personal or something very basic and i also got a question here i've written down you want to go first you want me to go um you can go first all right. So I guess this question isn't as relevant since uh, you've been taking some time off Twitter, but I really like your Twitter bio. Um, and I'm curious what your Twitter bio says, illuminated by diminishing light. I'm curious, <laughs> I'm curious what that means to you. Uh, so that's, that's, <laughs> man, this all sounds like incredibly fucking gay, but that's, um, that, that, that's a quote from uh, Jean-Paul Sartre's nausea. Um, and that's kind of about uh, a guy um, who is becoming like, increasingly aware of the emptiness of uh perception and kind of like the emptiness of of being itself so it's kind of like this the main character's name is rock quinton um and he's uh he's he's basically gradually dissociating uh and like he picks up a rock 
Uh, and it's kind of like him kind of detaching language and meaning from the actual object that he's holding itself. And he goes so far down that path that uh, it's it's somewhat ruinous um, for him. So I guess that that quote is kind of um, it's like it's this it's it's whatever this internal animating force is that kind of keeps you within the symbolic chain and keeps you within this kind or keeps you content within the symbolic chain of language. Um, that's kind of like gradually, very gradually uh, going out. There's a light, but it's it's diminishing, I think. But I think that's natural as everyone ages. But um, my question to you, I think, would be um, what uh, is there something something specific or or maybe something challenging that you have in mind that I that, that you want to tackle in the future, some subject that you'd like to become more knowledgeable about that isn't related to finance or Bitcoin or money or something like that? Well, we took and if there isn't, you know, that's totally, (laughs) you know, I I love comedy, man. I love laughing. Like we talked about, like, I think people's sense of humor, like in a woman, I think that is what I am most attracted to. Like Mm. being able to uh, laugh is just such an incredible part of human experience. And I haven't been bold enough to go to an open mic yet, but I kind of love to work towards that and continue to incorporate comedy in this. Cause like, you know, when I read you that white belt thing and we were cracking up in this, like <laughs> it's, it's amazing how good you feel when you laugh with others. And like, there's so much to be sad and upset about in this world. But at the end of the day, we got to get on and live our lives and uh, figure out and optimize for our own happiness. And uh, I, Bitcoin's great and all, and I think it can provide a lot of freedoms, but like if shit just absolutely hits the fan, Bitcoin's not getting me through. Well, I, I think having a sense of humor and like hope and being able to laugh and connect with other humans, that if everything hits the fan, like the internet goes out, like there's no like money just isn't, money's worthless. Like food is basically the only commodity. You know, if like we get to yeah. that point, like laughter is the only thing that would ever get society back to a prosperous state. It wouldn't be a, bitcoin unfortunately so i think just optimizing for that and continuing to incorporate that and i think another thing like one of the biggest challenges to bitcoin is that learning curve and getting people to realize like hey the mainstream media has a lot to lose and that's why they're spreading this fud about bitcoin um but in reality like if you can teach people and make it light and fun and help them understand in a uh, way that is enjoyable i think a lot of people are there's very few people who i think understand bitcoin and there are some, but very few who understand Bitcoin are like, screw this. I like this fiat system where the government gets to centrally plan money. Like Bitcoin yeah. is the first time as humans we've ever separated money from the state. And like, that's a pretty crazy concept. And the fact that we live through it and, um, you know, that is one thing I'm so grateful for that some anonymous character, a group of people got together and <laughs> coded up something that the world yeah. can now use as a uh, inflation hedge in a way to opt out, if you will, you know, of, Totally. Um, yeah. Set of rails off uh, the bullshit that is fiat currency. It is cool, but I I think that's I think that's great. I think uh, laughter, especially uh, resonant laughter, is very uh, liberating. It's very uh, freeing, even if it's only momentary. And I think speaking to your point, that's I think that's a great. That's like a fucking fantastic way to educate. It's like you can educate the best when like what you're doing isn't perceived as didactic or educational, and laughter is a great way to. Great way to do it. So that's awesome. You should totally go for the open mic, man. Start start writing shit down. Hey, cheers. Not. I think I'm gonna try. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, I why not, man? Why not? What do I got to lose? A bunch of people telling me to go fuck myself. <laughs> <laughs> I can find that on the internet. Any Yeah, yeah. That's everywhere. But um, thanks for having me on, man. I I really enjoyed talking to you today. Hey, likewise, Alex. Glad to have you back on. Thanks to anyone who uh, took the time to listen today. All right, man. Take it easy. Likewise, Alex. Peace, brother.